We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast, broadcasting live from the Vivid Seats studio. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lumming, as we get prepared for week two of the NFL season. Week one is officially in the books. Half the league is unbeaten. Half the league is winless. Aaron, how's it going, man? Doing all right. Well, um, I mean, technically, there's at least two teams that tied. and luckily You're right. For- Luckily right. for the Bears, at least uh, at least one of them was Detroit. I mean, they blew what was an 18-point lead. I turned off the game. I was back on the Red Zone channel, and then next thing I know, all of a sudden, I'm getting notifications and texts and all sorts of stuff saying it became a game again. So, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that more later on. But, I mean, ties are kind of weird, especially really early in the season because you don't really know if that's going to act as a win or a loss because, I mean, obviously, if you're – you know, kind of like the Vikings were last year, it could have acted as a win for them in terms of the wild card um, versus other teams where maybe they needed to be nine, six and one. And they're, you know, on the outside at, you know, eight, seven and one or whatever, you know, so it's just kind of you just never know. Yeah, that was my mistake on that. Yeah, the Lions and Cardinals did tie what was just a wild game uh, Sunday night that kind of went into the Sunday night football game. Crazy comeback by the uh, Arizona Cardinals in the uh, fourth quarter there. And thank God I had the Lions actually in one of my survivor pools. I had them as my pick because my kind of basis was everyone's picking Seattle, everyone's picking New England, and pretty much everyone picked uh, Baltimore and, and Philadelphia. And I didn't want to burn you know, one of those big um, – teams later on down the line so I figured you know the Lions should be able to handle the uh the Cardinals rookie quarterback um 
even though they're on the road, they, they should win. And thank God I switched it to um, Seattle, who barely escaped the Cincinnati Bengals. So I was sweating a little bit um, on Sunday. But now we're a couple of days removed from the Bears. Week one loss to the Packers on Thursday night. Um, and I think it's, it, you know, early on, you know, you and I talked about this uh, on Friday's podcast. But it seemed to be kind of like a little, not panic and, and, and like over – thinking it but like it just felt like a lot of Bears fans were on the ledge after that uh that lost the Packers but now like kind of going through Twitter and reading stuff I think the last couple days have have done everyone a a good here especially watching the other teams play that it's only one one week there's still 15 games left and yeah the Vikings looked pretty good but outside of that I mean like no one else in the division really stood out to me Man, I, I, I need to see your mentions and your timeline because my mine have been still just insane. Anytime I tweet anything, anything, anything at all, it didn't have to be about football. I've got people, well, you know, what about Trubisky and what about Nagy and how, you know, how screwed is this team? And it's like, okay, guys, it's one week. I get it. We were frustrated. We recorded the podcast. We vented. You know, it, it is what it is, man. It's it's one game, and it's one of those things where you can look back, and I actually tweeted this out uh, earlier on on the weekend. You can look back and see seven of the 12 playoff teams from last year lost week one. I mean, it's just it, really what this comes down to is like, for me, you know, one of the, the, the best examples that I can really come up with is, you know, you look at some of these these teams that won this, this weekend, right? And then you look at some of the teams that lost, and it's like, can you honestly say that for you know one of the winning teams so like let's just say the bills for example uh, or the raiders are going to be better than teams like the texans uh you know it's, or teams like the bears i mean it's just honestly like we put way too much weight in the week one i think one of the main reasons we do that is just because we've been waiting for football for so long and we want something to react to other than preseason or training camp and that's the first thing that happens so I like you pointed out, you know, Minnesota looked really damn good. Um, you know, the Falcons looked equally as awful. I didn't think the Packers looked very good. Uh, the Bears looked terrible. You know, we, we've already kind of talked about all this. I mean, the Bears defense looked good. The, you know, Minnesota, sorry, Minnesota, uh, Green Bay's defense looked good. Uh, Detroit looked really good there for a little bit. But again, that's that's the issue with Detroit is Detroit has always been an inconsistent team, especially under Matt Patricia. And I mean, even with Daryl Bevel as the offensive coordinator, they abandoned the run again. It just it, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you you can go through multiple offensive coordinators, you can go through multiple head coaches, but for whatever reason, it's like for whatever reason, Matt Stafford is one of those guys where any offensive mind gets in there and they just want him to throw, 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 throw. So either way, it's just again, I, I think it's it's key to keep in mind that. Starting off 0-1 is no nowhere near a death sentence. Like I said, I mean, the, the Saints had made the playoffs. What was it like four out of the last five years or something like that? Four out of the last six years. And, and five of those years, they had started off 0-1. I mean, this is the first time that they've won week one uh, since 2013. So, you know, we just got to see what happens. Uh, what I will say is I don't think the game against Denver is going to be easy by any means. Yes, Denver did not look good against Oakland last night. But Denver at home early in the season, the first you know one or two games of the season at home, they are very good. Uh, with that being said, there's no reason the Bears can't win. But I just I, I think we need to kind of see what happens. I, I don't know. I have a weird feeling it's going to kind of follow the same trajectory as last year with the Bears, where I mean they didn't really look that good against Seattle. I mean their defense has looked really damn good, but they didn't really look that good against Seattle, and they won. They looked, in my mind, they looked terrible against Arizona last year, and they barely won that game. Then all of a sudden it was like they kind of turned the corner with Tampa Bay. But I think a lot of people forget too. The Bears were three and three 
going into week eight of the season, or sorry, week nine of the season, uh, or I guess it would be week eight. Would it be? I don't know. Either way, you get the point. They were three and three. They had their bye. They were going in to play. I think it was the Jets or the Bills. What I think it was the Bills, but they were in last place. They went from first to worst in one week, and everybody's freaking out. They lost two games in a row. Uh, the Bears simply hadn't looked that good. They lost against a Miami team that they shouldn't have lost to. Uh, New England really just kind of uh, controlled most of that game. So again sometimes all you have to do is reference last year. I'm not saying that the Bears are going to be the same team they were last year. I mean, I would still think that they're going to be better. Hopefully they will be. they got to get the offense figured out. But let's not overreact to one week. That's really all I'm saying at this point. Like I said, we got our venting out. We, you know, Obviously there are some concerns, and there's nothing wrong with concerns. But completely burying the season at this point, giving up on Trubisky, anything like that right now off of one game, I don't think we can do that yet. Yeah, kind of going back to that Matthew Stafford point, uh, dude, he's going to finish like fringe top five with passing yards all time in NFL history when he's done. But it's like the Lions are never going to win a Super Bowl. And, and it's not, I don't really think it's all his fault. It's just God. They, that, I don't know how every year they do this. Like they lost to the Jets last season, a rookie quarterback in week one of Monday Night Football. And they turn around and lose to the freaking Arizona Cardinals, blowing a big, or not lose, but tie, blowing a big lead. Um, on the road so yeah it's wild but I know I guess my mentions might be a little more um, tamer now because I, I was getting it too after Thursday's game when I sent out a tweet that was just you know like calm down it's week one relax everyone oh no Trubisky sucks we should have had Mahomes we should have had Watson and it's just like now I feel like my mentions aren't as bad um, I did tweet something out the other night about like how on a scale of one to ten where do you feel um, you know the panic meter and then where does that go if the Bears win on Sunday where does that go if the Bears lose for the most part, you know, we had I had a lot of, you know, in the range of one to four as where they're at right now. And then if they win, you know, it kind of goes back down inside two. But if they lose, for some reason, shops like eight or nine in most of my mentions. But we'll preview that game um, coming up here in a little bit with some special guests. Um, before we get into our next segment here, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome back into the Bear Report podcast here. Uh, just got done talking a little bit about our intro with the NFC North and how you're kind of feeling about the uh, Chicago Bears. Now that a couple of days have passed by and week one is officially over, one of the biggest news stories, though, Saturday before all the rest of the games kicked off, and it's been an ongoing saga. We saw it on Hard Knocks. We've seen it all over TVs for the past couple of weeks. Antonio Brown is now a Patriot. And I have a weird feeling this was set up a long time ago to get him into New England. Am I wrong here, Aaron? I mean, it not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I mean, how are you wrong here? I mean, it, it seems like there's a lot pointing to the fact that I mean, because it, it wasn't an Antonio Brown who originally wanted to be traded to them anyway, and, and yeah, clearly wouldn't deal yep. deal with New England. I don't, I don't think you're wrong on this. I mean, I, I here's the thing. I think Antonio Brown is definitely unstable. I think he's mentally unstable. I mean, I, maybe that's wrong to say, but I, I, there's something not right with the guy. 
with that being said, the roller coaster and some of the things that he did, it's hard for me to believe even somebody like Antonio Brown, who may have that diva mentality, may not be altogether there. I still have a hard time believing that he would just randomly act out like this all the damn time without some ulterior motive behind it. Yeah, it's odd. It's a whole odd situation because I feel like, you know, obviously Pittsburgh didn't want to trade him to New England. Outside of the Ravens and then maybe the hype from the Browns, the team you're competing with essentially in the AFC that you you didn't have to get through Kansas City or New England. It wasn't didn't seem like to me that Kansas City wanted to trade for Antonio Brown. New England was definitely interested. So there's no way in hell Pittsburgh last year was going to trade or at the end of last season was going to trade him to New England and then have to turn around and face him you know, once a year, sometimes two if they make the playoffs. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, the whole saga with the Raiders and now they give up the – or the they give up the third and the seventh round pick, you know, all the stuff that went on, it's like him burning his feet and, and starting that whole thing is like the tenth craziest thing he's done in the past three months because now he's like hiring social media experts to help him get off this team. He's releasing phone calls of John Gruden. He's, he's you know, calling Mike Mayock different things. He's not showing up to practice. He's getting fined. He's posting Instagrams. It's like, dude, it's what the hell's going on? And now I'm curious to see how's this going to work out in New England. I mean, is this going to be a situation where he comes in and, and he works hard and they are now one of the top, you know, one of the favorites, if not the favorite in the uh, AFC, or does it kind of work out where he's just, you know, oh, hey, I mean, I'm just Antonio Brown. Maybe he's not a factor. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. This entire situation is so weird. It's like, I mean, we've we've all seen it. We've all followed it. It just, it's crazy. And like you pointed out, I mean, the whole thing, you know, with the, the freezer, not freezer burn, frostbite with his feet or whatever. I mean, that was like, on the bottom of the list of crazy stuff that's happened with him over the last like month. I mean, it's just been one thing after another. And the funny thing is, is I'm sitting here thinking, well, at least hard knocks is going to be able to capture the, you know, the majority of the craziness. And it's like, they were gone. Cameras were gone by the time that the real craziness even started. I, I mean, if there's any team that can reel him in, it would obviously be new England. Um, I also thought it was interesting that there's like a, there's a 2020 option for him as well. So, I mean, that'll be interesting, but even looking at that, I mean, Look at their look at what kind of weapons they have right now. I mean, they have obviously they have him, they have Josh Gordon, they have Julian Edelman, they've got Nikhil Harry that's on IR right now. They just got done trading Demarius Thomas. Uh, they got another random dude that nobody's ever heard of that will probably end up putting up four or five hundred yards this year just because why not? Uh, I mean, they have a lot of weapons on the team and they still have and I'm not saying he'll even be a factor at this point, but they still have Cam Meredith on IR as well. Yeah, I mean, look at what Philip Dorsett did against the Steelers. Dorsett, too? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, wild. It's, I mean, Dorsett was a former number one – sorry, a former uh, first-round pick. Yeah, and he obviously he came over in that Jacoby Brissett deal um, with Indianapolis. It, it's crazy. And then, you know, you have that looming thought that, okay, you know, maybe Rob Gronkowski does come back. Like, may, I mean, what if he decides, yeah, I want to play football, and he comes back, say, week 10 or 8 or whenever the buy is, and he just gets – I mean – I think Gronk could come back any time, essentially. And it's just wild that, 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 you know, how the Patriots do this year after year after year. But um, let's get into some of the Monday Night Football talk, including one of the Bears, uh, the Bears' next opponent. Man, a hell of a game the first game to kick it off. Uh, Saints and Texans. And I'm sitting there watching, and I caught the end most of the second half there. And I'm thinking, am I more jealous of the Texans for having Deshaun Watson, or am I more jealous for the Saints in having not Drew Brees, but 
a kicker like Will Lutz who would have kicked that from 65 and drained it. It's just like that was just so hard to watch as a Bears fan. Like even though there's no rooting interest there, it's like watching Watson lead that comeback drive with the poise in the pocket and delivering that strike even though he knew he was going to get hit. And then seconds later, here comes Will Lutz and just drains drains a bomb game-winning field goal. Yeah, kind of a kind of a little little glimpse into you know what what we as Bears fans were hoping that the Bears would have, and who knows they they may still. And that's the thing. The one thing I will say is Deshaun Watson had a good game last night. I'm not discounting anything that he did that last drive was obviously very 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 impressive. But I've had a few people in my mentions that are like, well, too bad Trubisky can't do stuff like that. <clears throat> That's like, let's let's just take a step back and remember, Trubisky was the the quarterback of those two who led his field or led his team down the field for a potential game-winning field goal when Deshaun Watson completely crapped the bed in the playoffs. I mean, it's again, it's one of those things. I've been very highly critical of Trubisky. I've been very highly critical of Nagy for that one game. And I think that's what people need to understand. I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson's not a better quarterback because at this point, I mean, we're I, I think we're realistically looking at I think the highest ceiling that we're possibly going to get out of Trubisky right now is the fact that he may be the second best quarterback in the draft class behind Patrick Mahomes. But right now, as it as it stands, I mean, Deshaun Watson's clearly a better quarterback than he is. And but again, it, it's one of those things where yes, it's very frustrating. Yes, it's something that. The Bears realistically probably took the wrong quarterback. I mean, they, again, that's not to say that Trubisky's going to be a bust, but I think we've at least seen what Watson and Mahomes have done. Uh, I don't think Mahomes would have turned out the same way. I'm always going to feel that way because you have to remember the situation that he walked into in Kansas City versus the situation that he would have walked into in Chicago. I do think that maybe Deshaun Watson was a little more pro-ready in terms of what he already came from. Uh, his intangibles and everything that he had at uh, Clemson anyway. But, I mean, it's still, I don't know, it, it's just a situation where, yes, it sucks. It sucks to watch these guys. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, let's just say we're, we're talking about Week 17 here and the Bears are going to the playoffs again and, you know, Trubisky's playing at the level he did last year, maybe a little higher. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I do think it's possible. I mean, again, we can't overreact in one week. It's like, then are we really feeling the same way? I don't know. I, I, I still don't think the Texans are a playoff team anyway. I think that entire division, the, the sorry, the AFC South is a dumpster fire. Uh, I think Jacksonville is going to have another bad year. I think Doug Marone's going to end up getting fired just because that culture there is bad. Uh, the Colts obviously don't have Andrew Luck. The, you know, the, the Texans still, it's like they still can't protect Deshaun Watson. I mean, I get it's one game, but still. And then the, the Titans, surprisingly, looked probably the best out of any team. I mean, you want to talk about a team that had a lot of hype going into week one that just got absolutely embarrassed. I mean, the Browns were that team. Yeah, that, that I was going to actually bring up. Dude, I think Houston's offensive line is going to get Watson killed. I mean, even on the plate, delivered that strike and, and, and hung in the pocket. Christ, man, he got drilled because their offensive line can't block anyone. And they added um, – was a kid from Miami that they added in the offseason. I just completely blanked on his name. Uh, little Laramie Tunzel to protect them, and they were getting destroyed up front with that Saints uh, defense. So, yeah, we'll just see about that. Um, so going into the second game, um, it was, what was it, uh, Denver at Oakland. Um, in a game I thought the Broncos were going to run away with. Uh, I didn't think there was any chance Oakland was going to win that game. But, man, Oakland comes away with the win, and they did something that I think the Bears should have done against the Packers, and I think the Bears should do this weekend. They ran the football with their young running back and Josh Jacobs. 
I really hope Matt Nagy was watching that game because Josh Jacobs had a monster game running through that defense, and he kind of set that tone for the for the Raiders' offense. And, and you can see Derek Carr's a little more comfortable. He had a run game going. They're getting the ball out quick. They didn't let Von Miller and Chubb be a big factor because they got the ball out quick. They're running in between the tackles. And, and I think Oakland had a great game plan against um, Denver last night. Well, and I think you're, you you bring up a good point, you know, with, with the offensive attack that the Raiders had, right? I mean, the Bears have talent on offense. I mean, let's not act like they don't. I mean, they do. Uh, I think one of the big factors in last night's Raiders-Denver game that I thought was very interesting is the fact that Derek Carr didn't get hit one time. He didn't get sacked. He didn't get hit one time on, you know, going against a defensive line that has Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on it. I mean, that just that says a lot. I also think it shows that maybe some of these analysts need to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on the whole Vic Fangio made the Bears defense because we saw what the Bears defense did against Aaron Rodgers, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And then, you know, obviously, again, it's only one week. But then we saw what Denver did against Derek Carr and a John Gruden-led offense when they couldn't even get to the quarterback or touch him one time. So, but again, I think you bring up a good point because here's a situation there. I think with, especially because Bryce Callahan's probably going to be out, apparently re-aggravated the foot injury. I feel bad for the guy. Again, kind of looks like Pace may have made the right decision there. I think that's why they had a certain price tag. And once uh, that price tag looked like it was going to be exceeded in the early going of free agency, they they moved and they, they got Buster Screen. But I obviously the run game was a big thing. I also think the other thing, like you pointed out, too, that was big in that game as well was the fact that they were getting the ball out quickly. That was something that we really didn't see the Bears do at all offensively. They didn't commit to the run game uh, and they didn't get the ball out quickly. And I think that with that comes some of the down the field shots. And that's kind of what we saw um, in last night's game. I mean, the, the Raiders weren't consistently going downfield. Uh, but they were using their tight end, Darren Waller. They were using a lot of short intermediate routes and they were running the ball consistently and had good success with it. And I think that's exactly the kind of offense the Bears need to be running on a week-to-week basis anyway for one simple fact, and that's getting Trubisky in a rhythm. And you just went out and invested uh, $5 million over two years for a guy like Mike Davis, or maybe it was $6 million, either way. Um, and then they also went out and traded up uh, you know, for their, their first pick, which was a third round pick, they traded up and they got David Montgomery. It's like, and you've also invested heavily in this offensive line in terms of money and picks. It's like, why not, why not use that to your advantage? Why not use those kind of play calls that, you know, roll him out, roll Trubisky out, get him out of the pocket. I mean, just, just simple stuff, almost kind of like what John Fox did. I hate to say that, but what, what John Fox did in the early going with Trubisky, especially within the scripted plays, even like, let's say, the first week that he started against the Vikings where they're rolling him out, they had a consistent run game. Uh, you know, as, as annoying as it was, the whole run-run passing, and that's not what I'm saying here, but as annoying as that was, there was at least an established run game to where they were able to rely on the run and they were able to use Trubisky uh, in situations where, okay, they needed the pass, uh, but they weren't forcing uh, 50 throws in a game like they did the other, you know, the other night. So yeah, I, I think there's absolutely a blueprint to what they did. I do think there needs to be kind of a little asterisk next to that and saying that Denver is going to be a different team at home or they should be a different team at home. So, but again, I mean, looking at the Denver offense, it's like 
the Bears should absolutely feast, especially if, if uh, Denver can't get a running game going and Joe Flacco is still a statue back there. I mean, there's no reason why the Bears can't have similar production to what they did against Green Bay. Yeah, Joe Flacco looked awful. I mean, he had a few good throws, but goodness, the Bears' defense has to be licking their chops. They should be getting after Flacco, putting him on the ground. And really, I mean, the only player that honestly scares me in that Broncos offense is Phillip Lindsay. Their run game is solid, but the Bears have been really good against the run the past few years, so... We'll see, but yeah, I was I was just impressed with what the Raiders did, and I think the Bears could take a lot away from that. And I, you know, Matt Nagy said he'll be watching it. Some of the players said they'll be watching it. They have to feel better about themselves going into Week Two. I think I feel a little better, but like you said, it's a tough road game. Um, it's in the altitude. It's going to be in Denver. It'll be hot out. Um, Denver's really good at home in the first two weeks of the season. Heck, I think even the stat expands out to the first month of the season when they're at home. They're pretty damn good. So we'll have to see uh, how it goes, but. You know, let's let's actually get into that transition into our um, preview, um, our game preview for this week. Bears at Broncos, 325 Central Time kickoff in Denver on Sunday. Bears looking to get both teams actually now looking to get their first win um, of the season. We welcomed on um, the Mile High Huddle from Overtime Media Network to kind of help us break down their great guys, um, Jen and Zach. Great guys that know their stuff with the Denver Broncos. I've been on their podcast before, and we had a good time. And we'll get a little insight from um, them on Vic Fangio last night's game, the Monday Night Football game, and what to expect um, come week two when the Bears and Broncos do meet in Denver. But before that, I just want to remind you that you can use promo promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. You can use it whenever you want as long as you're a first-time customer. If you're thinking of going to the game this week in Denver, use that code OVERTIME to save you some money. Think about going to Washington next week, use OVERTIME code. And if you're thinking about going to Soldier Field to watch the Bears um, in the coming weeks, make sure you use that promo code OVERTIME. Once again, here's our interview previewing the Chicago Bears and Denver Broncos Week two showdown. And now joining us here on the Bear Report podcast is Chad Jensen and Zach Helberman of the Huddle Up podcast. They cover the Denver Broncos. They do a great job. And they're here to uh, give us some insight on the Bears week two opponent out there in Denver. Hey, guys, thanks for joining Aaron and I. What's up, overtime brethren? (laughs) How's it going for you guys? It's good. You know, uh, getting ready for this game, both teams coming off kind of uh, bitter, horrible defeats in in some phases of the game. And we're looking forward to seeing who finally gets into the right side of the win column this week. So I got to ask, watching that game Monday night, man, what the heck happened with the, with the Broncos? Was this something you guys expected? I mean, they're going up against the Raiders. They had the whole Antonio Brown saga. I thought Denver was going to come out, wipe the floor with them, but I mean, that yeah. didn't happen. What, what went wrong for the uh, Broncos? The, the biggest thing was... I mean, we expected there to be some – for it to take some time for all these new moving parts to get up to speed. But we didn't think it would take an entire half of going scoreless. I mean, Joe Flacco and the Broncos offense could get nothing going in the first half. And not only that, you know, that wasn't the biggest shock. Zach, and you could probably uh, agree with me on this. It was how badly Fangio's defense was getting obliterated yep. by Derek Carr. I mean, John Gruden called a phenomenal game keeping Fangio off balance, but – that was probably the biggest surprise to me was just how badly Fangio's unit looked. And the defensive coordinator, now a head coach, you know, the the play-calling wizard, who is known for being a great halftime adjuster and in-game adjustment guy, he could never really bounce back and, and get back on a level to counter aggressively what Gruden and, and Derek Carr were doing. 
And not only was the defense bad, the team was not prepared or ready or motivated or fired up to play in this game. And that falls on coaching. So that also caught me by surprise that Fangio, who's preached this no death by inches and old school mentality this offseason, he looked like, you know, his team wasn't even ready to get off the bus in Oakland. And it's a hostile environment. It's a tough place to play in prime time in week one. A lot of new changes, new moving parts. But the way they lost that game, it wasn't just the fact they lost. It was how they lost that game. It was just... uh uh, eerie shades of 2018 guys and that it's not a uh, Broncos fans don't want to revisit those times at all and it was nowhere near as close as the final score that eight point margin I mean that game was never in doubt the the Raiders controlled that from right. the drop so as Zach said very much shades of of 2017-2018 which is unsettling for Broncos fans to say the least well we got four guys on this podcast right now that are covering teams that lost disappointingly in week one so this is definitely going to be interesting i'm kind of curious to get both of your guys' perspectives here on just the overall thoughts on uh the hire of vic Fangio. obviously it happened a while ago but i'm kind of curious to get your original thoughts and and really how you kind of think this is going to work out because at least for bears fans i mean Fangio interviewed with the 49ers uh, when Harbaugh got fired. He interviewed with the Bears when John Fox got fired. But, I mean, the Broncos were his first actual outside interview. And I think a lot of Bears fans, including myself, had kind of expected that, you know, Fangio wasn't going to be one of those guys that really ever got his head, a head coaching shot. You know, he's getting a little on the old side. Maybe, maybe you know, teams are looking for new guys. And then all of a sudden Denver comes in, hires him away. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts about the overall hire and how you expect it to go. Uh, by all accounts, I mean, it was a home run hire for Denver. John Elway loved him. Uh, the fans loved him. The players love him. He instilled a new culture and really starts to, you know, overwrote what was going on with, you know, Vance Joseph last year and painting over those those stained walls in Dove Valley. Uh, he was a breath of fresh air. He still is. And he, he got the Bron- Broncos back on the right track and instilled more discipline and, and things of that nature. But it's all about what you do on the field. It's all about results. And the fact that he came out after a whole offseason of hype and getting all these new players and Joe Flacco and coming out and laying an egg in week one, uh, it kind of put a little damper on what his short term expectations are in Denver. But still, uh, most rational Broncos fans have to realize this this was a great hire and it will pay off. He will be a good coach and it's going to take longer as Chad said, in just one week before this operation really comes together. And that's the thing is, one pe- it, it is going to take time, but what a lot of people, especially on the outside, need to realize of, of Denver is that John Elway's very much focused on, as the GM and the president of football operations, he's trying to win now. Like, he's gone three years now missing the playoffs, and the last two years were the first back-to-back um, seasons of missing the playoffs since the early 70s for the Denver Broncos. The first, I should say, the first back-to-back losing seasons, actually, since the early 70s. So, like, he's feeling the pressure. He's John Elway. He's a legend. He's an all-timer. And winning a world championship as a, as a front office guy bought him a little uh, honeymoon period. But these last three years, the first one after the Super Bowl, 9-7 and seven with Kubiak, Kubiak steps down. And then these the depredations of 2017 and 2018, he's feeling the pressure. So in comes Fangio. He's 61 years old. You know, he's feeling the short-term pressure to win now from up the chain of command. But at the same time, everyone has to realize this team is undergoing a complete culture sh- shift inside the locker room. Sch- uh, schematic philosophies on both sides of the ball have shifted, and there's a new starting quarterback. To say the least, it's going to take some time, but I don't think even Zach and I, you know, we've been covering every nuance of this team for many years now. I don't think we expected them to lay quite the egg that they did and come out as flat as they did in week one. It's a little unsettling. But at the same time, I think we have to balance that as analysts and say, look, 
they're just getting started, especially for teams who in t- in the modern preseason they hardly play their their starters. You're not going to really see what this team is till about week three or four. And you kind of bring up John, um, yeah, John Elway there, and you know from us on the outside, it kind of looks like a mess. No offense, you guys have been in there and paying attention to it. For me, it seems like his problem is the quarterback position, okay? You have Peyton Manning comes in, wins you a Super Bowl, but that defense was really nasty. Now you have guys, you know, Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, um, now um, Joe Flacco. What is kind of the mood around Denver? Is it? I mean, you guys said John Elway has to win now, but is, is are people kind of getting sick of this, or are they, you know, on the verge of wasting, you know, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb? Can they get this thing turned around quick? Honestly, John Elway's greatest sin was drafting Paxton Lynch in the first round Mm -hmm. and trading up for the privilege to do so. That one misfire has set this team back at least three years because they wasted, you know, three training camps on Paxton Lynch trying to determine whether or not he was the guy. They they wasted three years of Von Miller's prime to get to what you're saying there. So that was really, I think, the biggest thing that has kind of, in the in the literal sense, retarded the Broncos' progress in the next era after Super Bowl 50. You're right. The quarterback has been. I mean, in this league, you guys know this, man. You saw it until you got Trubisky. Even with Cutler there, if you don't have a quarterback, if you don't have one of the franchise quarterbacks, you're dead in the water. You might have a hit and miss year where you get to eight and eight or nine and seven, but in terms of being a consistent contender and pushing for the playoffs, if you don't have that quarterback locked down, it's it, it you're dead in the water. So. Elway has struggled, and the problem is he's tried to find the right guy, but it's hard to find those guys. I mean, half the league is still searching for a franchise quarterback. So, honestly, what he's tried to do is he's one of these GM guys that, you know, he thought he established a model with Peyton Manning. And the way the Broncos won that 2015 Super Bowl, he thinks to himself, you know, all we are, we've got an elite defense, we've got these defensive pieces. All we are is one middle-of-the-road quarterback away from winning it all again. Because if you think back to 2015, Peyton was on, you know, he was about half of what he used to be, right? He was really fading. That was his worst year as a pro, not counting his rookie season. So Elway saw that and goes, we have a model here. We just need kind of a middle-of-the-road guy who's not going to lose the game, a veteran, you know, someone with some competency and savvy, let the defense do the job. But it's it's misguided. And so in that sense, he has kind of sacrificed the long-term stability of the franchise for this short-term pursuit of winning now like that's what you saw with case keenum that's what you're seeing with joe flacco didn't work with keenum and it remains to be seen if, you, if it's going to work with flacco yeah you know to take chad's point uh, a step further it's not just that he bombed on the paxton lynch pick elway bombed the previous two drafts before 2018 and that's how you really restock a roster that's how you build a contender from the inside out as the draft not free agency. That's where Elway lived on in 2014 and 2015. He got by by having a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame pass rusher in Von Miller. That bought him so much time, like it always does in the NFL. One title is like five years worth of job security, and he's lived off that. But the time is quickly running out now, and people are seeing Elway for what he really is and not this all-knowing personnel advisor and this guy who could do no wrong in Denver. He's done a lot of wrong. The fortunate part is he's kind of corrected his mistakes the last couple of years Good drafting, good head coach hire, who we think is, you know, is, is right for the job. And he's taken steps to ensure the roster has long-term prospects that, that just aren't kicking the proverbial can down the road. The quarterback is always the biggest question, though. 
I was never big on the Joe Flacco move. I still think it was a little short-sighted and him just throwing money at, at a problem again and hoping it goes away. Uh, the good thing is he did draft Drew Locke, though, so he, he learned that he has to have a young up-and-coming prospect. But this season will be made or broken by Joe Flacco, and that by extension is John Elway. So as Chad hinted on, it's, it's absolutely win now right now. He's running out of time. He won't get fired if they have another down season, but fans won't stand for that lack of, of you know, of, of building up to that championship standard and enacting it like Pat Bolin, you know, insisted. Well, I think a, a lot of Bears fans can definitely relate to some of what you guys are saying in terms of, I mean, Phil Emery lived off of free agent signings. Uh, in a lot of ways, Jerry Angelo lived off of free agent signings uh, in his last few years with the Bears. And, and that's one of the nice things that Ryan Pace has at least done for the Bears is he's been pretty damn good during the draft. But kind of like you guys just talked about, I, I think the Bears are in somewhat similar situations just because, I mean, they have a really damn good roster. I mean, they got a really good defense. Uh, I mean, Trubisky's still a question mark, and that's just kind of what we're what we've learned through Week One. Obviously, it's just one game, but even going back to last year, I mean, there, there's question marks from a lot of people. Maybe not so much in terms of uh, local media and Bears fans stuff like that, but from the outside looking in, I mean, Trubisky's nowhere near proven. So I can definitely understand that, but. They kind of switch gears here a little bit because I, I kind of want to get your guys' perspective on another former Bear that is now with the Broncos is Bryce Callahan. Now, I love Bryce Callahan. I I was a little upset that he left. I understand why the Bears set the price point where they set it. Um, I also understand that durability has always been an issue for him. He's never played 16 games. So I was pretty excited to see him go against the Bears on Sunday. And then all of a sudden I was reading, I think it was right before the Monday night game. I didn't really kept up with everything, but – Apparently, he re-aggravated a, a foot injury. Well, I mean, he had surgery on the foot, but apparently somebody stepped on his foot in late July, and he really hasn't been practicing that much since. I mean, can you guys give us a little update as to what's going on and what the long-term prognosis for this year is for him? I don't even think Vic Fangio knows at this point. He continues to insist that he's you know limited and he's still recovering from that foot, and he all but acknowledged that he suffered a setback. The specificities of that aren't necessarily known, but it's disappointing because the Broncos really tied up a lot of hopes in him, not just monetarily, but personnel-wise, because they have Chris Harris Jr., who'll probably move on next year, and that's the built-in replacement for him. And Callahan is kind of that missing ingredient to the secondary that we saw Monday night. He's that slot cover corner. He can uh, handle all over the formation, different receivers, different spots, and allow Chris Harris Jr. and Kareem Jackson to move around more, but he hasn't practiced at all this summer. He hasn't played at all. He hasn't even made his Broncos debut fans don't even know he exists pretty much and not only the fan base but the coaching staff and Fangio they've continually insisted he has to get on the field he wants to see him on the field so they're they're getting frustrated frustrated with him too um at this point it, it sounds like it's touch and go and it's week to week that's all we really know at this point yeah he didn't even practice Wednesday still so Todd Davis was limited the starting middle linebacker for Denver who missed week one but Callahan who also missed week one did not practice and you saw how integral he is to Fangio's vision because the guy who was tapped to step in fill his shoes was exploited and targeted 10 times in coverage Isaac Yadam on Monday night by Derek Carr relinquished nine of those nine so it was brutal they need Bryce Callahan back and unfortunately too you know they're paying him seven million a year and there's a reason why he lasted to that second wave of free agency toward the end of that first week it was that foot you know he ended on IR last year as you guys well know he the here's what's crazy, you guys. Maybe you didn't know this. OTAs and the very beginning of training camp, he was a sensation. Like he was in all the notebooks, shutting down uh, Cortland Sutton, who's really flashed so far this this off season and to start this season. He was 
garnering some uh, some high profile buzz, and then he just disappeared when the Broncos had a scrimmage. He got his foot stepped on, and as Zach said, it's been cricket. So it's not looking good. Honestly, he didn't even practice Wednesday, which is not a good indicator, as you guys well know too, of a uh, player's status for the game. We'll see. But the longer he's out, the more I think this Fangio's vision is not quite going to be flushed out because one of the other assets or aspects, I should say, to Bryce Callahan is he is he all four years he played in the NFL leading up to Broncos was under Fangio in Chicago. So he knows the scheme. Kind of sticking with the uh, the Broncos defense here. The Bears' offense was a disgrace on Thursday night against the Packers. It was embarrassing. They went away from the run. They didn't have a carry, a, well, a rush, a rush play called in like the final 23 minutes of actual game time, which is embarrassing. Three points. Now, watching uh, the Broncos' defense against the Raiders and what the Raiders did, I saw a lot of Derek Carr quick throws, getting the ball out so that Von Miller and Bradley Chubb can't really make an impact on this game. How do you guys think the Bears' offense will attack uh, Denver's defense come Sunday? I think they're going to try and run it down their throat because you're going to have your head coach trying to make up for how little he did run the ball, especially in the second half of that game against the Packers. And seeing how porous the Broncos' rush defense was against the the Raiders, he'd be dumb not to try that. You know, really hard at least to start the game and see what he can, what kind of hay he can make. But I would say running the ball and these linebackers continue to just be suckers when it comes to play action. You know, they bite so hard, and it opens up everything underneath. And and clearly, without Callahan, this, these coverage schemes are still a work in progress. Guys are still trying to – you know, Denver over the last many years has been pretty much a straight man coverage. All these corners and, and DBs, they're used to playing press man coverage the majority of the time. Now, the past defensive coordinators, they would mix it up here and there. But, you know, they're used to playing press man and following a guy down the field. And so, as as you guys know – when you're playing zone, it requires a lot more film study. It requires a lot more of not just knowing your own responsibility, but knowing guys around you's responsibility. And it takes time to kind of hone that comfortability. I think that if you can get the pl- the, the run game going and start gashing these linebackers with play action and open up that underneath, this, this Broncos defense, they're still susceptible to that while they're ironing out the kinks. Yeah, I'm with Chad. I think uh, if the Bears were smart, they would attack the Broncos on the ground, not just because they are susceptible to that, but because to take the pressure off Trubisky, too, after that Monday night game. He's still a young quarterback. He's obviously, as we see, prone to errors and bad games. They have a good player in Tariq Cohen. They should get him the ball and attack the Broncos on the edge. Uh, Bradley Chubb is still not great at that aspect. He still can be beaten on, on the edge. Uh, we know the Broncos' secondary woes. That would also set up the pass. And as we saw on Monday night, they are susceptible through the air, too. So if it was, if I was Chicago, if I was Matt Nagy, it would be a ball-controlled, clock-killing approach. Run it down uh, Denver's throat, take advantage of the clock, score touchdowns, not field goals, and let your defense go to work with a lead. For me, if I was the, if I were the Bears, getting a lead is paramount on Denver. The Broncos are not built to come back from behind. 14-0 is almost an unwinnable game for the Broncos at this point with Flacco until proven otherwise. So if the Bears can jump up at that with the running game, uh, they have a good shot on this one. Kind of flipping it over to the uh, offensive side of the ball, at least for the Broncos, I'm, I'm definitely curious. What do you think it's going to take uh, to really get at this Bears defense? Because I'm looking at it, and and I, I think, at least in my mind, it's kind of the same approach that the Bears are going to need to have on offense. I think the best way for the Broncos to really be able to get at the Bears defense is going to be, you know, 
establishing a run. Uh, I really like Philip Lindsay. I was a little confused by his usage. Uh, and I, it, it, granted, I don't follow the team super closely. So maybe you guys can shed some more light on this. But I mean, he was a stud last year. And it, it seemed like he wasn't getting nearly as many uh, as many touches as I was expecting. But just kind of more of an overview. I mean, the Bears are pretty well set up a lot like they were last year. I mean, you know, Bryce Callahan isn't there anymore. Adrian Amos isn't there anymore. Uh, but they have haha Clinton Dix and, uh, and Buster Screen in the, in the slot. But I'm just kind of curious to get your guys' perspective on what it's going to take for the Broncos to establish something against the Bears and to really just kind of get that that offense moving, um, and especially with Joe Flacco back there. First of all, you're spot on about what what happened with Philip Lindsay in the running game. The play calling as a whole in week one was pretty awful, to say the least. And that was a first time coordinator, rookie coordinator and Rich Scangarello. He seemed way out of his element. He didn't know whether to stick to his his bread and butter, his meat and potatoes, whatever you want to call it. But that is still the running game. That is still Philip Lindsay. He is still the spark and the centerpiece of that team to only give him 11 carries and to have him run inside and not stretch the defense out. That was questionable. But a lot of Broncos fans should know by now, Royce Freeman is in for a bigger you know, timeshare this season behind Phillip Lindsay. They're going to give him just as many carries or close to just as many carries and really have a two-headed approach. That's what I feel like. You're right. You hit on the, uh, the, the topic. They have to establish the running game, too. But if Scangarello and Flacco were smart, they cannot wait until the fourth quarter like last week to open up the playbook. They have to take deep shots down the field. They have Emmanuel Sanders. They have Cortland Sutton, who has a great rapport with Flacco already. They have Noah Fan, a tight end over the middle. They cannot get scared and play conservative against a very good uh, Bears defense. As daunting as they may be, they cannot go into a shell. They have to stay aggressive and stick to their strengths. That's running the ball with Lindsey and then taking deep shots down the field. If if the Broncos were able to get their run game going early in Monday night's game against the Raiders like they were able to coming out of the half, coming out of, in the third quarter, I mean, they really started – they had two scoring drives where they got down into the red zone, and they were stopped both times, but they controlled the ball with the run, with the ground game, and taking, as Zach said, some strategic shots. In the third quarter, it was all Broncos. They just couldn't close with touchdowns. So I think that's this whole offense. It's the Rich Gangarello, for those who don't know, the Broncos' new OC. He hails from the Kyle Shanahan father system, and basically, what as we all know, and that ties back to the big Broncos teams in the '90s that won back-to-back Super Bowls: zone blocking, start with the run, and take your sh- shots strategically throughout a game. And for the Broncos' offense, I mean, and especially with the limitations of Joe Flacco, I mean, he's got a strong arm and he's a savvy and competent quarterback, but he's not a quick twitch explosive playmaker like a Patrick Mahomes. We all know that he needs a running game. And so it is priority number one against this bears team. If you're going to mitigate the rush from Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd and that D line, you got to soften them up with the run game. So I would be completely flabbergasted if the Broncos don't make that a point to start this game is to attack the bears on the ground and, you know, take some shots with play action. My final uh, question before we get you guys' predictions, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Cleo Mack there at the end. Um, so we're going to see Cleo Mack, Von Miller, Chubb, we're going to see Leonard Floyd. You guys have seen Cleo Mack for years. He's finally out of your guys' division. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys are happy about that. What are the Broncos going to do to kind of slow down Cleo Mack? And is it all, you know, focusing all on Cleo Mack and making someone else beat you? Because look at the Bears. That front seven's pretty nasty. Leonard Floyd's off to a great start. They got Akeem Hicks up the middle, Blow Nichols, Eddie Goldman. What's going to be the plan to kind of neutralize uh, Chicago's pass rush? Only way to do it is get the wrong game going because 
Garrett Bowles, you know, in Denver, he's known colloquially as Garrett Holtz. And Khalil Mack walking in, and I know they're, you know, they'll play both sides with Floyd on, uh, mostly Floyd, I think, rushing off of the offensive left side. But if they're smart, they'll they'll put Mack over there a few times, get him some snaps on on Bowles, and just let the magic happen. Unfortunately, that's. But the only way to mitigate that, if you're the Denver Broncos, is you have to give that rush some pause by, you know, making them second guess whether it's going to be a run, whether or not they have to sell out to stop a run, or if they can attack a quarterback. Running game, that's what it all comes down to. But Khalil Mack traditionally has been very successful against the Denver Broncos in all those years in Oakland. And I mean, most fans, Broncos fans can remember a game in, uh, what was it, 2015, where he sacked Brock Osweiler five times in a game. It was brutal. So, yeah, Mack is a guy that has left some emotional scars on Broncos fans over the years. And I think the only way you're going you're gonna to stop him is to, to balance it out with, with a successful run game. It is not going to be easy at all. Uh, he's a great, great player. And with Garrett Bowles being Garrett Bowles and Juwan James now injured and Elijah Wilkinson, their second string tackle in, they don't have much depth there. They don't have much cohesion there. They struggled on Monday night. But the best way to beat them initially is to run right at them. Like the same way you beat a blitz is to run right at it. They can get Lindsey and Freeman going. That would uh, mitigate what Khalil Mack can do, even though he is a tremendous game-changing player. The other thing I would say is maybe take a page out of John Gruden's playbook. The same way he uh, mitigated Von Miller and uh, Bradley Chubb on Monday night, he had quick three-step drops, quick passing plays for Derek Carr. They never even sniffed Carr, never got anywhere near him. That's what I think they should do with Flacco, who we all know is not the most fleetest of foot. So if they can get the running game going and and just call those quick passing plays, get it over the middle and take some shots down the field, they can reduce the damage that Khalil Mack is going to do and have a chance to stay in the game. And one last thing on that topic, guys, is one of the reasons that Carr was, I mean, I think he only had, what, Zach, four incompletions in that game on Monday night. One of the reasons why they were so successful is they were running the ball and and moving the ball on first and second down. I mean, it was second and four. Then it was third and two, third and three. I mean, they were just, it was easy conversion. So they could come out and Carr on a third and short could do a three-step drop, have the ball out on as soon as his, his foot hits that back on the drop and boom, gone and Two and a half seconds, that's just not enough time for even the best like Von Miller or Bradley Chubb up and comer to get to the quarterback. So I think you'll see the Broncos try and take a playbook or a play out of uh, the Gruden book, as as Zach said there, and, and try and attack the Bears similarly. It honestly sounds like, I mean, it, at least from what you guys are saying versus what I'm thinking the Bears need to do, I mean, it pretty it pretty much sounds like the, the Bears and the Broncos need to be doing similar things to each other. Because, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about two 0-1-1 teams that really underachieved in week one and are built pretty similarly. So, I mean, I, I don't really have any more questions. I mean, I definitely think we should uh, get into the predictions here because I'm kind of curious to see where you guys are at versus uh, where we're at with these uh, with these game predictions. Because, I mean, man, the Broncos have been so good at home, and I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand, like, how a team – can be so good at home regardless of how good or bad their team is but I mean we we've seen the stat multiple times I think it's what 51 8 and 1 or 2 or something like that at home since the since the merger in the first two weeks of the season I mean that's that's incredible yeah I mean it's the Broncos home tradition is is pretty strong and that crowd always comes out they've sold out every home game going on 30 plus years now so they, they get a great turnout, it's loud, and they just play well in front of the home crowd. And that's the one advantage I think the Broncos have in this game. Well, two advantages. One being that they are at home, and it's their debut. So this is the first chance really for the for the home crowd to see Vic Fangio's vision on the field, and, and that'll give them a little lift. 
can be short-lived if they don't execute, but it'll give them a little spark to open the game. And the other advantage, at least we're thinking anyway, is that Vic Fangio has a pretty good idea what the strengths and weaknesses are on that from a personnel perspective on that Bears defense and offense because he was going against them in practice for all of last year as well. So we'll see the, you know, the flip side of that coin is the Bears also have familiarity with Fangio, you know, so we'll see which one is able to find the advantage truly. But my prediction is I think the, the Broncos are probably going to lose this game and it's probably going to be by a field goal. I would, I'm, my prediction is probably, gosh, Bears 20, Broncos 17. Another advantage I want to throw out there because Chad nailed the other two is the altitude. And I know it's a small one, but that really can't be discounted. And Vic Fangio now knows what it's like with the environment in Colorado. And that's a tough environment for a team to come into considering the Broncos home record in their first game of the season. I'm actually going to deviate a little bit. I had the Broncos winning the first game and I thought they would lose this game. So I'm going to flip it. It's I'm going to preface this by saying it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. This is two of the same teams right now. Great defenses and not great offenses. Uh, sloppy defensive struggle, which I personally don't like. Um, I like offensive shootouts. It's not going to be anywhere close to that. But I think uh, the Fangio coaching familiarity and also the Broncos being at home, whatever lore that holds, uh, it'll give them the edge here. I'm going with uh, Broncos 22, uh, Bears 16. We uh, we split on our predictions, too. I think uh, the Bears are going to win. I think it's going to be close, I said. And then, uh, Aaron, you had it a close game, too, but I think you said the Broncos are going to win, right? Yeah, I had a 13-10 Broncos. Uh, just, I don't know, I think it's going to be another ugly offensive game for the Bears, and I think we're we're in for a little bit more Trubisky panic when it's all said and done, but I don't know. I just I, I have a weird feeling about this game, and I'm never one to bet against history like the Broncos have at home. Yeah, that's a crazy number, how good they are in the first couple of weeks of the season, or even the first, I think it's the first month of the season at home. It's wild. Um, Chad, Zach, thanks again for joining us. Um, where can everyone follow you guys on Twitter at? Well, first off, make sure uh, you follow the the podcast account at Huddle Up Pod, and you can find me at Chad and Jensen on Twitter. You can find me at Kelberman NFL. Awesome! You can listen to them on the Huddle Up Podcast. They do great work. Um, we'll have to have you guys back on another time. For Absolutely, sure, man. thank awesome. you. Awesome! Thanks, guys. Welcome back into the Bear Report podcast. That was our interview previewing the Chicago Bears and Denver Broncos game with Mile High Huddle, also the Overtime Media Network. Aaron, I told you earlier I feel a little better about this game. Um, I know how you stand where that it's going to be still be a tough road game. I agree 100%. I think it's not easy going into Denver and winning, you know, whether it's October, November, let alone early in the season. Give me one of your things you're watching for Sunday, and what's the key to a Bears victory? Well, I think uh, really the big thing is going to be, like we talked about in the in the opening there, um, the Bears have got to establish a run game. I mean, it's just really as simple as that. It's like it's one of those games where I think if the Bears run the ball 30, 35 times and Trubisky passes it 20, 25 times, I think the Bears are going to win the game because – they have a good running game. That's the thing. They have good fits. I mean, David Montgomery looked good when he was out there. I, I really think featuring him in this offense moving forward, I, I, maybe his pass blocking is a little, a uh, little questionable. I would assume that's probably why he didn't play as much as uh, Mike Davis. But at the same time, it's just you, you got to be able to do it, and you you got to be able to commit to the run game. You use a third round pick on David Montgomery, and you trade it up for him. I mean, let's be real about that. So it's just. That's that's my key because I think the Bears' defense is going to be in good shape, but I think offensively, uh, Vic Fangio is going to know how to scheme them a little bit. But the thing is, is you know, Vic Fangio is a very good defensive-minded head coach, 
or very good defensive mind in general. But the thing is, he doesn't have the same pieces as what the Bears have on defense. He doesn't have an Eddie Goldman up front, uh, the, the stuff to run. He's got good Ed Rushers. The other thing that he does not have at all is he doesn't have very good linebackers. And, again, Bryce Callahan's probably going to be out again, so they're going to be down to uh, basically Chris Harris starting as an outside uh, corner. He's a really good corner. And then outside of that, it's going to be guys like Isaac Gideon. Uh, I'm sure this name's going to sound familiar as well. And now I'm going to – oh, yeah, Devontae Bosby. There we go. I almost drew a blank on it. So, I mean – Made a Bears, big penalty last night, I believe. Had a really that, costly penalty. Like, they have the ability to run the ball – to set up the run, and I think that's exactly what they need to do. Go back to what they were doing in the last few games of last year, uh, you know, towards the end of the season when they kind of already had things wrapped up and they were trying to build some confidence for Trubisky. He wasn't really making a lot of mistakes, kind of like the San Francisco game, uh, kind of like the Green Bay game. Establish the run, stick to the run, let it set up the pass. I think if they can do that, that's going to limit the amount of turnovers that they're going to have. That's going to limit the amount of crowd noise that's going to be an issue for them. And ultimately, I think they're going to be able to control the ball and then be able to win the game. They're a better team. I it, I don't think there's any question in my mind that they're a better team, but it's just really Nagy's going to find some way to come out and kind of counteract uh, the damage that he did last week as a play caller. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the football as well. Um, I'm going to look at the tackles to kind of try to neutralize um, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller on the outside. I You cannot let them wreck that game. The Broncos' defense is solid, but that's because Von Miller – is arguably one of the best pass rushers in the league, and, and Chubb is right there up there with him. So if you if you can't – don't let those guys win the game for Denver. If Miller finds himself in the backfield wreaking havoc on Mitchell Trubisky, it's going to be a long day for the Bears' offense. Other than that, I'm not really scared of the Broncos' defense. I think their secondary is very vulnerable. You mentioned Bryce Callahan might not play, and if he doesn't, attack that slot. Use Anthony Miller, Taylor Gabriel, attack that slot. That's one of their weaknesses with Callahan out. Um, just get Mitch going early, get him in a rhythm, use some quick throws, get the ball out quick in a stat. And I'm with you, establish the run game, please. For the love of God, establish the run and don't go away from it. I don't, I know Matt Nagy kind of has a habit of going away from the run, but I hope this was a wake up call against green Bay on uh, week one. And maybe that'll be the positive. Maybe he realizes, heck, I cannot go away from the run. I cannot keep going away from the run. So yeah, if the bears do that early on, jump on them. Maybe get out to like a 10-0 lead, 10-3 lead, something like that. I, I'd feel a lot better about their chances. Um, you want me to go first for like a player to watch? And then yep. I'll give my prediction? Yep. Cool. So uh, I'll go on the defensive side again um, this week. Player to watch. I'm going to go uh, – let's do Roy Roberts and Harris again because I thought he had a monster game. Um, the two set – or the one sack should have had two um, against the uh, Green Bay Packers. And the guy's a beast, man. We, we People that have been close to this team know how good he's been, and uh, I think he got to put on display in prime time. So I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with score prediction. I think the Bears rebound. I think they win. Um, I think the score is going to sound a little closer than it, than, it, um, than it will be. I think the Broncos get a late touchdown to kind of uh, make it a little closer. But I'm going to go 31-24 Bears. That's, that's fair. So – yeah, I think I'm going to go on the opposite side of the ball. It's kind of, again, I mean, I'm not really leaving much mystery here, but uh, it's going to be somebody that I just talked about, David Montgomery. I think he's going to be a big key to the Bears' offense this week. I, I could go Mitchell Trubisky. I, if it's me personally, I'm not involving him a ton in the offense. And, and you know, I'm letting him hand the ball off and putting him in favorite positions when he's trying to, uh, you know, trying to pass. And 
So I think David Montgomery is a big key for that, uh, at least for me. I, I think establishing the run early, getting him involved even in the passing game is going to help out a lot. I mean, he had an outstanding catch on a, on a play that simply if Trubisky led him a little bit and actually made a good throw, then uh, there's a pretty good chance Montgomery is either going to get down to probably like the you know, 15, 20-yard line or he's going to score on that play. But either way, he's a very good receiver. Uh, I think he's going to – I think he would fit very well um, in terms of uh, overall style, um, you know, in terms of running the ball against the, the Broncos. So that would be my player to watch. Uh, in terms of score, I know this isn't going to sit well with a lot of people. So here's my thing. Last year um, – I had the Miami Dolphins as a loss on the original schedule. And then as soon as they came out of the bye week, Brock Osweiler got the nod. All of a sudden, I changed my prediction. I think that historically speaking, I put a little bit more weight into that than a lot of people do. And I think that's why I'm going to take the Bears to lose this game. I don't think it's the end of the season. Even if they do, it will be frustrating. I think going into mile high um, and winning a game, regardless of how good or bad the Broncos are, especially this early in the season, I mean, we all know the numbers, it's not easy to do. Uh, I think this is going to be another close game. I'm going to go ahead and say 13-10 Broncos. I think the Bears are going to have multiple chances again to win the game. I'm just not overly confident that Matt Nagy is going to be able to stick to a run game like we've been talking about. And I think that, again, it's going to get in a little bit of a panic mode. And I think Trubisky is going to have another questionable game. Uh, kind of, you know, I, I'm not saying again, this isn't saying that the Bears are going to be terrible this year. This isn't saying that Trubisky is going to be terrible this year. But I just I, I need to see it to believe it with the Bears right now in terms of their offensive approach. And that's that's kind of why I'm taking this route until they prove to me that they can make adjustments and that they can change their entire philosophy for a game in a situation where really all they should need to do is run the ball to win the game. I need to see it to believe it. For the love of Bears fans, man, I, I hope you're wrong because <laughs> it will be. It will be a meltdown on Twitter if they lose this game and Trubisky looks bad again. But I mean, I could see it happening too. I'm not gonna. I can't guarantee a win here. So, uh, thanks again, Aaron, for joining me on this episode. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter? At? You can follow me at Aaron Lending NFL. Cool. You can read Aaron's work on the Bear Report. Um, you can read my work on the Bear Report. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Zach Z A C K underscore Pearson. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Um, all that fun stuff on all major podcasting platforms. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bear Report Podcast.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.